Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name is John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired Baltimore police sergeant. In most episodes of the Law Enforcement Today radio show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about issues that affect law enforcement officers, both active and retired, their families, friends, and supporters. We'll also be discussing incidents in the news from the perspective of those in law enforcement. Visit our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, and be sure to like and follow us on Facebook. Search for Law Enforcement Today. This is Law Enforcement Today. I'm John J. Wiley, joined by... Robert Greenberg in studio with you. It's so good to have you here, man. I'm so excited about uh, the guests we got coming up. Jim Cusack. How did you meet Jim? I met Jim through the Wounded Officers Initiative. Um, And when he comes on the air, you'll know exactly why I thought he would be an awesome, awesome guest for the show. As I mentioned, his personality in a room of a couple hundred people... Um, is, was contagious. A positive guy, upbeat. I, I know I didn't mention this to you, but he's paralyzed from the yeah. waist down. Well, let's let's not delay. Let's go right their phones. And let's talk. Let's to Jim. do it. Joining us on the phone from Pennsylvania, Jim Kuzak, tire police officer. And what agency are you retired from? I'm retired from the city of Clareton. What region is Clareton in Pennsylvania? Clareton is in Allegheny County. We are about 25 minutes southeast of the city of Pittsburgh. All right. So I imagine you're a Steelers guy, right? You would imagine correct. Well, I got news for you. I'm a Ravens fan. Sorry, Everybody bro. has a cross. Today. <laughs> All right. So you, you were a police officer there, and unfortunately, you went through everybody's worst nightmare that's in the job. Yeah. it. Uh, I had been a police officer for 18 years and successfully made it through those 18 years without any significant injury. And and then uh, I ended up getting involved in being an ambushed officer. Yeah, what was the physical after effects of that? We'll go into the details of the ambush and shooting, but what were the extent of your injuries? Uh, the extent of the injuries that night, I had been shot actually five times. Uh, three of those bullets entered my body. The first struck my right arm and officially rendering me my gun hand useless and i had already had my gun in my hand approaching the door to the residence so i lost the use of that and the second two bullets transversed across my vest and were stopped by my vest the fourth bullet actually struck me in the vest just let's say left of my left nipple and actually traveled through all the layers of the vest into my left chest struck a rib down through my entire left lung and then crossed over my T11 vertebrae, uh, compromising the spinal cord to some degree. We don't know exactly what degree. There was no surgery required on that. The fifth bullet went into my uh, left armpit through and through. So the injuries that I sustained that night, the most concerning to them was the loss of blood that I had received, and the damage to the lung. I was told uh, by everybody at the trial that the trauma surgeon stated that he was absolutely surprised that we made it to the hospital with me alive and that once he opened my chest, he had been using both hands to scoop out as much blood and damaged lung as he could 
to try and stop the bleeding so that uh, so that he could keep me around. And that was the only surgery they did. They did a three-wedge resection on the left lung, saved some of the lung, so I do have a, a lobe functioning still of that. But I am currently paralyzed from the waist down, considered a T11 paraplegic, uh, an incomplete injury, which just basically means as I do have limited functionality of my legs. My right leg, I can move. I can move my foot. I can move my entire leg. Uh, I don't have any feeling in that leg. Uh, oddly enough, I do have a little bit on the underside, but now my left leg isn't functional, but I do have more feeling on it, but I can't move it. And uh, as I've always said before, God has a weird sense of humor. Yes. Uh, the part <laughs> I get to sit on, my rear and my legs, usually is what I can feel, so then it usually goes numb and causes a great deal of pain. Throughout. Oh, wow. So how long ago so, yeah, was the incident? It was April 4th, 2011. And it sounds like, and I'm, I'm by no means a ballistics expert, but the, the round that penetrated your vest, so it sounds like we're not talking about a pistol round, are we? Oh, yeah. And it, and it penetrated through the, with a pistol round and, and created all that damage. Yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those, I would say, you would think it's the, the mystery bullet or that magic bullet you can't imagine, but it was. It was a thirty eight caliber. Uh, it did travel through every layer of the vest. However, from what I understand under the NIJ standards, they do not test anything less than two inches from any seam of the vest. In anticipation, I believe, that they, they not, they're not sure or can't prove that it will stop or attempt to stop gotcha. uh, a bullet. So that shot was an inch and three-eighths from the edge of the vest. So it sounds to me... Like, it, it, you are a miracle, A, that you survived. A testament to a miracle of modern medicine and the trauma surgeons and teams that worked on you as well, because that sounds like absolutely catastrophic injuries that most people don't make it through. Yes, I was fortunate on a, on a bunch of levels. Uh, mostly, I, I equate it to everybody who was around me and kind of the timing of how everything happened. Uh my partners that were there with me, two other partners were with me, uh, Officer Matt McDaniel and Officer John Steiner. And uh, Officer McDaniel was also an EMT. So when they had realized I was down, uh, mind you, it was at night. It was rainy. Uh, they had actually given chase to at least one of the suspects that had shot me uh, at the rear of this residence. Jim, what was the and, call, if I might interrupt you right here? What type of call was it that you were responding to? We had received a call for a disturbance at the residence at, it was 8.58 was the complainant, and the actual call for the, the problem was for 8.60. It was a duplex on Miller Avenue, and the callers stated they had heard sounds that seemed like a struggle and was unusual for what they were hearing in a bot, you know, quarter to 11 at night. So that's what we were responding to. So all three of us were responding. And as we approached, I don't remember hearing this, but we had gotten a secondary backup call that the dispatcher thought it may be an actual home invasion. So once we got there, we drove up as we were trained. We drove up, all lights blacked out, both cars, and John Steiner pulled up as the third car. Uh, Matt and I got out. Uh, Matt got his AR rifle, and then... Um, John pulled up. He and I got out just with our with our handguns. 
Now, the duplex had a front door and just a rear door, and we had seen that, so we knew that we had pretty much all the entrances covered. So I went to the rear, John went to the front, and Matt kind of covered us on the side. That was just the luck of the draw. You had a 50-50 choice. So my first attempt at the back door, I walked up these four steps that go onto a small deck. The deck probably at best was four feet wide by four feet deep. Its purpose was just so you could get to this height of this back door. Once I stepped up onto the deck, I could see the, a large white door in the, in the dark, and it was a white steel door, and I could see that it was cracked open. And just as I went to grab the knob, it was slammed shut. So I stepped back and kicked the door, announcing City of Clareton Police Department open up, and I didn't get a response. So what I did is I walked back down the steps, turned the corner to tell my partners, hey, I have contact in the rear. So I was coming back around again to then try to get up onto the deck to get to the side of the door to try and make contact again. What I didn't realize is where my partners were were in response to my statement. They had both started coming back towards my location. So when I stepped back up onto the deck, one, two, three, four, as my feet got both planted on the actual deck surface, I saw the white door, but then all of a sudden it opened in and to the right, and I just saw a black void. I could not see a thing, and then I saw an orange muzzle flash. Wow. Just as I saw that orange muzzle flash, I knew what was happening. I knew that they were actively shooting at me. But I couldn't go anywhere. The deck was so small. And at the time, I was wondering, I have my gun in my hand. Why aren't I firing back? I had no idea that the first round fired had struck me in the arm, causing my gun to go. I think it was found at the bottom of the steps. So as I stood there, realizing that I was getting shot, I knew what was happening to me. I knew that there was auditory exclusion. I knew that everything had slowed down in my mind as to what was happening. See, I had trained all this stuff. I used to teach this stuff. I had taught for Sabre Tactical and become a master instructor through the center axis relock shooting system. And these were things we taught that we were to expect and go through all these situations in anything like this that when your body is alarmed by something to this degree, it does these things and how to operate through it. So then all of a sudden, I mind you, this is happening in pure seconds, but to me it's almost minutes. I went from standing to my legs getting taken out from underneath me. When I went down, my head struck the, uh, the side of the banister with the spindles, kind of knocked me for a loop. When I was sitting there, I now know that what happened was I had this person or the suspect step over me. I thought this suspect was going to just finish me off at that point in time. Well, wow. But what in reality was he had ran over me to leave the residence. So happy that I'm not dead now, I started kind of taking stock of what was going on to me. I knew right now that I had to try and find my weapon, try to try and call out for help. Well, I couldn't find my gun right away. I noticed I couldn't get up, so I started hitting my leg, and I couldn't feel it. So I knew right away that I was paralyzed, but I knew I had to get out of there. Well, I couldn't get myself up. I realized I tried to reach for my radio where I had my mic positioned on the center of my chest. It was gone. What I didn't know was one of the bullets struck it. They found it 15 feet out in the yard. 
so I couldn't contact anybody. And at each second going by, I couldn't breathe. And what I mean I couldn't, it was as if somebody just kept compressing your chest. What I also felt was I could feel the warmth and the amount of blood that was on the left side of my body from the wound in my chest. So I knew the situation was dire, and I just kind of gathered up as best I could the biggest breath and started yelling, I'm hit, I'm hit, guys, I need help. I didn't know if anybody heard it. I just kept trying to get those breaths in, knowing that, you know, this is this is something pretty bad. I, it felt like an eternity to me. I just sat there thinking so many different thoughts, but more important thoughts that were coming across my mind was, I'm not going to get to see my, my girl, Chris. What am I going to do? My parents. I actually started seeing pictures of these people in my mind. I saw my, my grandmother that had been long past. Hmm. And then I saw our two dogs at the time. We had two German Shepherds sitting there panting, just looking at me as if to say, yeah, it's always hard to breathe. Just keep breathing. And I'm sitting there thinking, I know that if I close my eyes right now and just stop, I'm just going to pass. I'm going to go. And at that point in time, I was actually quite calm. Wow. But something in my mind kicked and said, there is no way I'm going to die here sitting on this porch. And I just started heaving as hard as I could and taking breaths, yelling, I was hit. And I just kept doing it. And at that point, what I didn't know was my partners hadn't gone that far. They had gone to about 20 yards to the rear of the yard where they followed a suspect down the alley. My partner, Matt, heard what he thought was the noises back on the, the deck. He didn't know that I was the one down. See, they had thought I was the one doing the shooting. Matt turned around with his AR that also has a light on it, pulls up and sight pictures me on the deck, and then realizes that's Jimmy. See, we were also all dressed in black BDUs, was our uniform, and we had black and silver patches on. So Matt realized it was me, called John, and ran back. Matt's about 5'9", maybe about 200 pounds. Now, mind you, with all your gear on and a rifle, you're just bringing up a lot more weight. Matt was able to pull me down by the legs to the edge of the steps, get me over his shoulder to carry me out, while John came up and gave cover to the two of us. Matt carried me all the way out to the front of the house and down a little bit from that house to the front of the other house. And when I say put me on the ground, more like drop me on the ground, and I hit my head for a second time. I always tell Matt I laugh at that because the weirdest things you remember, I remember as Matt's carrying me, my head bouncing off his butt. And uh, to me, it's still quite amusing to this day. <laughs> but Matt was smart enough as the EMT to start tearing off my uniform and at some point, they had called out, obviously, officer down, assistance required. Well, in the area where we police, we are in what's called the Mon Valley. So there's so many little departments around there that when you put out what they do as an all-call for the county, everybody comes running. And I mean everybody. I was told that afterwards, 47 police departments had arrived. We had had at least nine canine units. And that the state police helicopter was dispatched and went up in pouring rain 
in a very dangerous situation. A little sad that I got to miss all that, but it was one one large showing of police force. So Mac tears off my shirt, tears off my vest, finds the wound and says, Jimmy, this is going to hurt. Up until this point, I felt no pain. Matt took hold of that wound, and that's when everything hit me, and the pain just started shooting through my body. But also, I noticed any time he could did or let go, I could feel how much blood was coming out of the wound, and I knew that this is this really isn't good. So I heard all the sirens. I could, couldn't really see real well. It was it was so dark, and it was really starting to rain. And I had officers coming around and, and grabbing my hands, and one said, do you, Jimmy, do you know who this is? And I said, yeah, Timmy. I said, I can hear your voice. Now the paramedics arrived, and I could hear all their voices trying to you know, ascertain what had happened. They load me up onto the cot, race the cot back to the ambulance, and put me in the ambulance. Now what I was told was they had called for the Stat Medevac Air Unit to come pick us up at the Clareton Steel Mill. We have a functioning steel mill in town, and they have a helipad, which is only two, three minutes from where I was shot. So as they started for that location, and again, it was raining pretty heavily, they were told that that medevac would not be flying. So they took the trip now to Mercy Trauma Center in the city of Pittsburgh. That's another way I was fortunate. We have at least three trauma units in the city of Pittsburgh, so uh, I was going to good hands. So the ambulance started to travel, and uh, I... I was told at quite a hefty pace until the uh, the ambulance was almost struck when a vehicle pulled out in front of it. And I remember at the time the ambulance kind of went abruptly to one side, knocking me partially off the cot, one of the paramedics over, and pulling out two of the IVs they had started in me. So then the paramedics, as I had already told them once, said, hey, I know I'm paralyzed, said, hey, See if you can pick your leg back up there. And I said, I I can't. I'm paralyzed. So they then, at this point in time, told me later on that they had to put what they called an IO IV in, which is they basically drill straight into the bone of the legs and put in the IVs right into the bone. Good thing I couldn't feel it, but they did do that. I remember telling them how bad it was to the point where I couldn't breathe. The one paramedic said that they had to try and reinflate the lung in my chest so they put the needle in my chest to equalize the the pressure against the lung and i guess it worked for a second but it started to compromise my right lung as well this is all all amazing i first of all we normally have to pull information out of people we talk (laughs) you're so uh yeah you're just going into (laughs) detail after detail after detail and and describing it as if it didn't happen to you right it was somebody else, and you were there. Like you a, were there filming it, almost like a, in a uh, like someone testifying in court. And uh, well, I, it's it's mind boggling what you've been through. Yeah, it. I can't say that it was always easy. I will tell you that once, you know, I, I after I got to the hospital that day, and again I still was awake. I remember getting taken out of the ambulance, wheeled into the to the hospital and briefly talking to the trauma surgeon. And and then at that point, I went out. Everything flashed white, and I was out. And I didn't know if that was, hey, it's the end-all, be-all, or hopefully I wake up. And I did. I woke up late Tuesday morning. This was a Monday. I I was shot at 1051 at night. 
and I woke up probably, he said, somewhere in the early morning, you know, after 7 on Tuesday. Uh, I woke up, and they said I was pretty much fighting the, the uh, intubation tube, so they kind of sedated me, put me back out until the afternoon, which they uh, extubated me, and then I woke up. It wasn't always easy to talk about it. Um, after I left the hospital after 47 days, which was 10 days in ICU and then another 37 in, in rehab there to learn how to do everything I needed to do to take care of myself, right. I actually started going to the Center for Victims of Violent Crime here in the city of Pittsburgh, me and my, my girl, Chris, and we both started seeing a counselor. Because at that point in time, I was exhibiting a lot of the signs for PTSD. I could understand why. You've been through hell on earth. Yeah, it was. I would say it was pretty hellacious. Yeah. Uh, it, it, uh, at this point in time, it's, it's not that I don't remember it. It's just that I've, I've categorized it as somehow something in me told me there's no way I was going to let myself die that night. And I, I equate it to a lot of, in my career in law enforcement, I was a training nut. I went to whatever training I could go to. I think I had been to Caliber Press's Street Survival four times. I practiced shooting often. Uh, I had been involved in a lot. Keeping my career uh, active and, and being involved as a law enforcement officer. So I think that kind of prepared me for what I went through that night even though you can never truly be prepared for something like that. Right. And I'd have to say you, you must have one hell of a fighting spirit inside of you that uh, that's, you really can't describe. It's just we've all got it to some degree, but you must have had it in spades that night because this just yeah. the description is so horrific of what you went through. I mean, it's, a, it's the only word I can come up with, that I literally am speechless, and that doesn't happen very often. Uh, I'll, I'll yeah, testify I, to that fact. <laughs> it's uh everybody asks me you know how do i do it because you know even now to my everyday uh things that i go through i still experience a lot of pain uh that's just one of the lovely aspects of gunshot wounds and what they leave behind right uh, i have a lot of a lot of neuropathic pain leg pain nerve pain um and then a lot of it has to do with the cold so uh that doesn't make my days any better but I, I just I just go through it. I mean, I, I've been blessed with a second chance at doing something, and I'm going to make sure it counts, and that is hopefully paying back my family for what they had to go through, you know, and getting involved with everything I can and taking advantage of whatever I can. People ask me, well, how do you do it? Where do you get it from? And I said, you know, I really can't say how. Uh, I remember, you know, the, the main thing that where it came about is, my mother, which I didn't know when I was out and out of surgery, had told everybody, I don't want anybody telling him he's paralyzed. I want to be the one. So when I was still somewhat out of it, but lucid enough to be talking to people, my mother said to me, she said, Jimmy, she says, I just want you to know that you're paralyzed from the waist down. And my response to her was, yeah, I know. And she said, just everybody stopped in the room and was you responded to it that way. They expected something else. They expected a breakdown. Right. I don't know what that was in me that just answered it that way. Well, I, I've met you personally, and the first thing I told Jay about you is, and there was a room, I don't know, what, 
200 people were in gym when I, I first oh, yeah, met you. Easily. And I'll, I'll tell for everybody that is listening, your positive personality and just when you would talk to different people, I noticed it across the room. So I, I would just say that... Um, I could tell not by meeting you. You know, we, we, we judge character by far, first appearance, or uh, I'm, I'm not finding the words, but um, I, I had mentioned that to Jay, that you're, you know, you'd never know that you're paralyzed. And, 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 and been through what you just explained. I didn't know this at the time. And uh, I just, your, your personality just oozed out to everybody that you were talking about, talking about, talking to. Um, you were just so positive and upbeat in every conversation uh, that I could hear you engaged in while I was, while we were in that uh, room. I appreciate that. And, and other people have told me that, and it's nice. It's comforting to know that when people tell me that, that that's how I do come across because I don't want, I just don't want to be miserable. I don't want to have to dwell on, yeah, I'm paralyzed. Hey, you know what? If that's the worst that what came out of that night, I'm I'm glad that that's what I have to deal with. I've seen so many different things happen. I've seen I've been to too many police funerals. I've seen too many people lost, and I've seen what that loss does. I do my best, and I've I've told this to unfortunately some of the families around here in Western Pennsylvania, the wives and kids that I can tell them one thing, and the only thing I can tell them that I know that their spouse or their husband or their wife was thinking at that moment that they may have passed was them because I was right there. I was right staring at death and the possibility of not coming back. And I know it was on my mind. So I know that it was on their mind and that's the only comfort I can give them. And mm-hmm. I hope that seeing me and my positiveness, the way I go about things is what I can try and give them to go on and to experience life and just hold their lost loved one in, in the highest regard. You got me with totally without words. And we can go on, I, I suspect, for an hour and a half talking about your your physical recovery and also your, your mental and emotional recovery after this incident. But I suspect from listening to you and just little conversation I had with, with Robert, that you're a man with a mission. You've got things you want to get done. What are some of the things you're doing now, your purpose in life? I was fortunate enough when I did get set up after about a year and, and two years of therapy that uh, I was doing a lot of speaking engagements around the area. I was speaking to law enforcement officers. Uh, I speak to the Allegheny County 911 dispatch. Every class they put through new for their new dispatchers, I speak to them. Uh, I've speak, spoken to children, all kinds of groups. So it gets me the chance to put that out there. But I was fortunate enough that two years ago, I was kind of talking to the right people at the right time and was noticed by the powers that be at Glock and telling them that uh, I, I wanted to get back into shooting some competitions in handgun that I can. And I knew I'd be somewhat limited, but I wanted to try what I could. And I had just seen recently at that time that there was a an Army Blackhawk helicopter pilot who had been injured in a crash and was rendered paralyzed like I am as a paraplegic. And he started shooting for Smith & Wesson in these competitions. And I said, you know what? I had shot these competitions before. I want to shoot them. 
and I want he and I, or at least get people to see that just because we're paralyzed doesn't mean we can't do things that we right. wanted to do in life and love. And that's what I kind of put out there. And next thing you know, I'm talking to Glock, and they're telling me, hey, you know what? We want to have you on the team. We want you to be an ambassador for us out there to tell them about the Glock brand and, and for them for you to tell them about you. And uh, so for the past two years, I've been shooting for Glock. That's, uh, that's uh, incredible. I'm, I'm a Glock guy myself. I have a Glock 27 that, and also old. I wasn't 19. a Glock guy, but I'm a Glock guy now. Yeah, see? There you go. <laughs> the, we will hear these other people stepping on the plate, so my, my hat's off the Glock. Yeah, and definitely. You also yeah. were retired from your agency. Were, did you find them to be supportive? Because that's not always the case. I'll tell you what. I, I had already worked early on in my career for um, at least – four different police agencies. So I've been through every type of good and bad you can see. So working for the city of Clarendon, which is the press community, they work within what they got with the means of what they've got. And let me tell you how well they took care of me. Um, They did things they didn't have to do for an injured officer. They put forth every effort to make sure I was involved. Uh, My chief and I actually got to be good friends. He actually lives in the same neighborhood I do now. Uh, I've watched his kids grow. Uh, I know everybody in his family, and they still continue to this day to keep me involved whatever way they can. I still have my keys to the station. I can go there anytime I please. But they obviously had to do what's necessary, and as of two years ago, I was medically retired. Obviously, you know, I don't know that I'm going to be back in the cruiser. It takes a little bit to get my wheelchair out and answer calls, so I don't think that's going to be a possibility. We got you up on an airboat, though, didn't we? That was absolutely, <laughs> let me tell you, some of the most fun I've ever had. Really? You That's got awesome. Three, three and four guys lifting me up in the wheelchair onto an airboat and flying around. It was, it, I was ecstatic. Well, you can do a lot more of that down here in Florida if you move down here. Oh, yeah. And you don't have to go through all that winter stuff anore either. Escape no, the cold. I, and that's, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to kind of transfer a little bit of us down there, at least for the winters now, hopefully. You know, if that's the case, um, and trying to get some things ironed out up here with with my parents. You know, they're going to be retiring here in the next few years, and uh, just to set the family up and make sure we all we all can experience some some better years here on out. And that's one of the things I'm really taking away from our conversation here, and hopefully other people is that you went through severe severe trauma, severe injuries, lifelong injuries, and you're you're focusing constantly on how do i have a productive happy purposeful life that i enjoy yeah it's you know i've i've watched um a lot of people that i've seen through stories and that's who i've seen don't make it after something like this that it ultimately tears you down and at some point some people commit suicide and I have to say this, and it's unfortunate, and it it really gets me every time, and a lot of people don't know this until I tell them my full story. Uh, only a, a year and a half ago now, Officer John Steiner, that was my partner that night, was a young man. He only started his career in law enforcement. Uh, a year and a half ago, he committed suicide. Oh. And uh, I, I, you always look back at what you wish you could have done. Could have should Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And... A lot of what it is, I wish I would have had more time with him. I mean, he. the difference was is he went on to other departments after that night, 
uh, trying to improve himself, and he was having a great life. He got married to his wife, who was a police officer as well. And he ended up in a department where my, my cousin is a sergeant. I knew he was right where he was supposed to be. And then not three months later, uh, he, he killed himself, of which you, you, you will never have that answer. Right. And uh, it's something that hits me very hard. And, again, it's something that's always there. It's another one that, uh, dude, you know how to hit heavy. I'm telling you, you, you yeah. uh, have uh, talked about some things that I know impacted me because I've been through this with my police career. Robert's been through his police career, not the injuries you sustained, but the loss of life that we see other people go through, sure. the suicides. And that's a sad fact that uh, we've all got to do something about, you know, and I sit there and go to myself. If I could have done something different, maybe they would have. Right. And I have to stop that because I did what I could at the time, and I try to do better today. That's all I can do. Yeah, and, you know, I look at it that way as well. And something that's helped me along with it is, what I, you know, the things you hear about what I couldn't have known when I was in the hospital. And the night of the shooting, uh, we had the, what I didn't know was the police officer support team from the area came there told my family and friends, here we are, here's our cards, we're here if you need us, you need someone to talk to, we're here. So hearing about them and meeting them afterwards, Chris and I said, we want to be part of this team. So Chris and I are certified peer crisis intervention peers so that we can help other officers, other people's families in exactly that, whether they're suicidal, or whether they're in need of help, whether they can't handle the job, whether whatever happens. And unfortunately, we've had too many officers die that we've been at those those same situations they came for me. I'm so glad that you called in and were a guest on our show. I'm so glad I got to listen to your story. And I really look forward to the day. I know it's going to happen that we'll get to sit down and have a meal together and have a conversation. I'm, I, I cannot wait for that day. I look forward to it as well, Jay. Well, Jim Kuzak, retired police officer, thank you so very much, and we're going to have you back again in the future. I hope so. Wow, Robert, you hit out of the park with that guy. He was damn good. Damn good. Jim and- Cusack, an incredible story of survival. And, you know, usually some of the questions we like to ask is, you know, what happened with the perpetrators and all that stuff? I didn't want to know nothing about any of that. Right. Right, we forgot, it. We so forgot in, all about it. We there's were just, so much we didn't talk yeah, about, but yeah. I was totally enthralled with him telling the story of his experience, and uh, he did it in such detail. It, looked like a, it felt like I was in a movie. I was sitting there being entertained. I hate to use that word, but... that that's, I was visualizing it. Yeah. So yeah, my the theater of the mind was going off. When he described looking into the dark doorway yeah. and the orange muzzle flash, I was seeing it in my head. Right. Um, so I, I just, I'm blown away. I'm amazed at his sense of purpose, his enthusiasm for life. And it would be so easy, you think, to say, eh, you know, I've been through a lot. It's been really, really hard, and I give up. I don't sense that at all from that guy. No, no. In fact, uh, now he's uh, competitively shooting again, so that's just And I'll awesome. bet he's a better shot than me. <laughs> And well, I shoot like 97 every time I go to the range. Yeah, but you know me. I, I am so happy to hear that a department, uh, I'm sorry, department, uh, Glock got behind him. Yep. Um, the department and Glock. And Glock. And you know, that brings me to a point. We 
as a community, meaning whether you're in law enforcement or you support us, we need to support those companies that support the brother and sisterhood. Absolutely. And please, that's what I took out of this too, uh, on top of the incredible story and and heroism and the the power to stay alive and stay in the fight. And and, and again, if you ever meet Jim, he's one positive guy. You'll You'll get in a room with people, and 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 your eyes will be drawn to him. He's that charismatic. And the folks at Glock stepped up and made him an ambassador for the brand. And well, a they shooter. picked a winner. They picked a winner. So I, I've been a Glock guy for a long time, and you are now. I'm a Glock guy now. So which one are you going to get? Uh, I don't know. Buy a couple. You know. I'm- oh, when in doubt, buy the store. <laughs> That's it, buddy. <laughs> I cannot wait to see, and I just might have to go shopping with you. On that note, let's wrap things up. It was a great time today. I want to thank Jim Cusack so much for being a guest on the show. I want to thank you for listening. Again, if you want to be a guest on the show, it's very easy to contact us. How do they do it? Just contact us on Facebook or go to our website. There's a contact us page down at the bottom of the website, or you can email me directly at letceo at gmail.com. And we can accommodate you as a guest from anywhere and the radio studios here in beautiful West Palm Beach, Florida. For example, Jim was calling in from Pennsylvania today. That's right. And so if you have a suggestion or a topic or question, you know, we'd love to hear from you as well. And I, right now we are booked up for like a month, five weeks with we, guests. We've got some guests coming on. we got to keep the ball rolling. And we got some powerful guests on the way. If you think this one was incredible, wait to hear some other shows coming up. And it's a, I, I cannot wait. So... Before I start my official closeout, I'm going to ask you what I ask you all the time. Did you come up with a closeout yet? Eric gave me one, but I didn't write it down. So I, I apologize, Eric, if you're listening to this. How about this? On behalf of Robert Greenberg and everybody associated with law enforcement today, I'm John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.